One o'clock? Yes? All right. I see one finger up. I assume that's one o'clock. All right. So if you uh, please come out and support Heber and, and Raisa, and, and they're going to have, uh, they're having a baby, and we want us their first baby, so we want to support them and, and just overwhelm them with gifts. Show them some love. Amen. Well, I want to speak to you today, and I want to show you something before I start here. Um, um, if you can see this, I'm going to hold this up. Um, the, these are my notes. So this could be really short or really long. It depends how much I ramble. It just says blank four, all right? So we're going to turn to the scripture of blank four. <laughs> now, um, I, I spent um, Friday evening and most of yesterday trying to process what I've seen since uh, when I was in Iraq and, and I, I've just failed miserably at it so far because I feel like I've witnessed, um, well, I have witnessed just one of the most incredible tragedies, and I just don't know altogether how to process it. And so today I'm going to speak to you. I did prepare a couple of videos and pictures I'm going to show you um, of a couple stories that I encountered there. But today I want to really speak from my heart, and uh, I spoke in the first service, and I just want to really speak to you from my heart. There's a couple things I know God wants to communicate this morning. But to, I'm just going to kind of rip open my heart and kind of share my own thoughts and, and how it affects us as a church and as a people, as a nation. And uh, I'm going to start off by showing you this video. You can show the video uh, of the one where, I'm, where it's me. Okay, um, I'm going to start and just show you this video so you can kind of see a little bit of the terrain. If you'll get those lights for me, Mr. Joe, just get those lights for me. That's a quick one. Just leave those off in the back. It's fine. That's enough light with the one up here. There you go. Hey guys, I'm standing over uh, the city behind me of Tehuk. There's 22 refugee camps around here. We're with uh, Sean and his team, and uh, they're currently uh, starting outreaches into these refugee camps. And we're so excited about the opportunity here and uh, how many people we have an opportunity to reach with Jesus. They're so hungry, they're so open, they're so welcoming, and we're so excited to be here in northern Iraq in a war-torn country where Jesus is breaking through. Amen. So I want to kind of set the stage for where I was there. You just turn that middle light on. Leave the ones in the back off, Mr. Joe. Thank you. I want to kind of set the stage for where I was. I'm going to give you a little bit of a geography lesson and because uh, I want to explain to you some of the groups we were working with there, and I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. But um, where I was um, while I was there in northern Iraq is a place called Kurdistan. And that is not a nation. It's kind of a state that overlaps three countries. It overlaps Iraq, Syria, and Iran. So so that Kurdistan is kind of over those three nations. It overlaps. The majority of it is in Iraq. But there are, the people there are called Kurds. And there are Syrian Kurds, there are Iranian Kurds, and then there are Iraqi Kurds. In Iraq, um, primarily, the Kurds are made up of three groups. There are Christian Kurds, there are Yazidi Kurds, which is their own religion. And the Yazidi uh, religion is kind of a cross between like Judaism and some sort of mysticism with a dab of Christianity thrown in. They're not Muslim. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, strange enough, they, they believe somewhat in Jesus and they believe that he raised from the dead, but they believe that it was the peacock God 
the peacock, is who actually raised Jesus from the dead. And so this is a terrible joke and very offensive, but I want to say it anyways, because that's what I do. I told the girls that are there working full-time that are missionaries there, I said, your slogan should be, because they work with children a lot, get to them before the peacock does. All right? And so that's what we want. We want to bring Jesus to him before the peacock gets to him. And so there's the Yazidi Kurds, and then there are the Arab Kurds. And the Arab Kurds are majority Muslim, although there are some secular Arabs that are Kurds. So you've got Christians, you've got Yazidis, you've got um, the Arabs, which are majority Muslim. And they're all, all of them have been persecuted, especially the Yazidis and the Christians, um, by ISIS, or what they call Daesh over there. And so they've all been persecuted. Folks, I literally had the opportunity and the privilege of being in the middle of, not in the aftermath of, in the middle of an area that is experiencing one of the worst genocides in human history. There are 7 million refugees between Iraq and Syria, mostly Kurds, but they're, they're Syrians, there's, there's um, different, there's Sunni, there's Shiite, but there's literally 7 million refugees, primarily Kurds, between those two nations. 4 million of them in the U.S. The city you saw behind me has 22 refugee camps surrounding it, Duhuk. Those 22 refugee camps, the smallest one has 20,000 people in it that are living in tents as their permanent homes because their mountain or their village or their home has been taken over by ISIS. This is literally one of the greatest human tragedies we've ever seen. This group of people that is going into these villages, this, this makeshift army, these radicals, are, are, make Hitler look like he was just kidding. The brutality is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I'll tell you a couple of those stories uh, today. I... I am trying to get through what I saw and make it make sense for us because I believe that, that we can be called into a deeper place in him. You want to shut the, those fans off for me? One of those fans, can you shut this fan off for me so I don't feel like, thank you. Steven just emerges like on his magic carpet. Thank you, sir. I said, you imagine, you, never mind. It's an Aladdin reference because I was just in Persia, you know. There you go. Bada bang. So, so I have been so challenged, and I want to challenge you this morning with what I feel like is, uh, is what we need to hear. Um, in 1 Samuel 17, verse 29, David is talking, and, he, and, he, and he's kind of arguing back and forth. And he finally says, is there not a cause? And I want to challenge you this morning with that. If there's not a cause burning inside of you, if today I don't say, if I sat down with you and said, what is the cause that is burning inside of your heart and you have trouble finding an answer, I want you to leave here with a desire for God to give you that gift of hunger so that you can be marked with a cause. 
This sermon today or this message does, uh, does not originate from or land, you know, the idea is not to land in a place today where you feel guilty because this has nothing to do with guilt or shame. I want to provide you and show you a picture of an opportunity where you can enter into a greater understanding of what God wants to do for your life. And then I want you to see you stake, take a step of faith in that direction. Whether you're young, old, middle-aged, whatever color you are, wherever you come from, whether you're poor, you're rich, God wants to burn inside of you with a cause, a mission. And so I'm going to show you some of this stuff, but I want to make one thing very clear to you today. And this is kind of a side note. This church will never, ever, ever be comfortable. Maybe we should put that on our, our um, website and see how we do. What I mean by that is uh, we, we, we have made huge strides and are continuing to make huge strides in, in providing an environment for your kids to grow and, and, to, and to really love to learn, to learn to love the Lord and to have a good time. And we want our teenagers to be engaged. And we've got great uh, youth and young adult pastors that love the Lord. But we're not here just to create a fun, cheeky environment where we can come and just feel good about our lives. Let me tell you why. And I don't mean to be negative because I'm not. I'm not trying to be negative this morning at all. Because I love every church in this community. If they believe in Jesus, man, we're for them. We want them to grow and prosper and do well. But this church will never be like some of the churches in this community. And it's not an us for no more. That's not what I'm saying. Whatever mandate is on a pastor or a group of another church is none of my business. And I cheer them on 100%. Some of the churches in this community that are massive, they're huge, and they're, they're really you know, going for it, and that's great. We'll never have the same model as them. Let me tell you why. Because as long as people around the world are suffering and don't know the name of Jesus, we will burn with a passion that pushes us beyond comfortable Christianity. Are you with me? And so I don't want to be known as the church that you come to and just, it's just wonderful and comfortable because the reality is that I heard somebody say this yesterday. Uh, how many of you actually tuned into the Azusa, Azusa now, uh, that 2016, blah, 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 that whole thing. Anybody tune into that? Well, it was 15 hours in the largest Coliseum in Los Angeles. They almost filled it probably 50 or 60,000 people. They almost filled it with believers that for 15 hours, were worshiping and praying and making declarations from every tribe and tongue and denomination and people group and theology that came together to worship the Lord and believe God for revival. Now, now I want to tell you this, guys. I don't think it's a coincidence that that's going on and God is doing what he's doing here and he's doing around the world. I believe that this is the hour where comfortable Christianity needs to be set off to the side and we need to burn with a passion for God and a cause inside of us that pushes us beyond what we think we're capable of doing. Listen, anybody who's impacted the world for the better, that has had a great impact, the great missionaries, the great, uh, the great men and women of God, over they have been the most uncomfortable people. 
They will push you beyond anything you think is cap- you're capable of. I listened last night, my wife and I, in tears. I watched this Azusa now. As they dragged up nation after nation after nation. And they got up and they declared the glory of God over their nation. In French. And, and in, uh, they were speaking in Dutch and Italian. And, and they, were speaking, uh, they were speaking Arabic. And they were speaking every language you can think of. Portuguese. The Brazilians were there. They, of course, with their bright colors on. Right? <laughs> I, I spotted her. She was on stage. She had a bright green shirt. I said, that's the Brazilian right there. She was there speaking. I mean, one after another, my wife and I in tears as they begin, J- J- Messianic Jews coming up and calling back their people and, and, and just believing God for Israel. They had Native American Indians that came up and were worshiping the Lord and forgiving the white man for what they did to him. They had African Americans from, from um, African Americans that were representing some of the hot spots of racial tension, Ferguson and the different areas that had come to forgive and offer forgiveness. Michael Brown's uncle, who's a minister, was there offering forgiveness and love and praying and declaring for his city. They had every, they had Catholics there that were asking for forgiveness for what they had done to Christians and vice versa. They were, they were, they were, they were kissing one another's feet. They were kissing Lou Engel's feet and Lou Engel, same thing, back and forth. Folks, there's something happening in the earth today. And if we just want to be comfortable, we're going to miss it. So this sermon is radically different from the last one, but that's okay. That's what happens when you don't have notes. I want to share with you a couple stories that have challenged my life since I was there. The first one is of a man. He is Yazidi. He's a Kurd. He's a grandfather. He has 11 children or something like that, but there's 11 families in addition to him and his wife that are related to him that are living in an abandoned chicken coop outside of one of the refugee camps uh, there in Erbil, which is where we stayed. In an abandoned chicken coop, there's 11 families, probably 40 kids, 35 kids. He's, uh, he's the grandfather. They call him Baba. And he, um, we saw him multiple times. I interviewed him. But one of the times we were interviewing him, I got done with the interview and I put my microphone away and I put all the rest of the gear away and I had the camera sitting in my lap. And Sean Foyt began to engage him. And he began to talk to him about Jesus and about his love. And I missed some of it because I, I, I was done recording and oftentimes they're, they're very kind of skittish about talking about this on camera because of the persecution. And so I started recording from my lap. This is my lap's view, okay? So you're welcome, all right? And so I started recording from my lap, and the audio is a little bit difficult to hear, but Sean is explaining to him about, this is a man who watched his 17-year-old son and his 19-year-old daughter taken away and killed by ISIS. He left 15 generations of family history behind and is living in an abandoned chicken coop with his family. And what this brings him to, and this is really what I want to stress today, is it brings him to a place where the only answer is Jesus. The only answer is Jesus. And so I want you to hear what he has to say And I just believe that this was a prophetic declaration over his nation. You're going to hear it. And then I'm going to kind of make this make sense for us. And so you have to, the audio is bad because I had put away my microphone. But you can hear him. You can hear a translator who, by the way, is an Iranian Kurd who snuck over the border 
facing persecution and really death to come to Iraq where she had freedom to work. Now, when Iraq is the place where you have freedom to worship, and she doesn't want to be on camera because if it got back to her nation, they would hunt her down and kill her. And so she's translating. Her name is Avine. And you can hear them speaking back and forth and in her translation of what he's saying. And so I want you to, to just watch this. This clip is not in any way, shape, or form. I slapped this stuff together last night so we could have something for this morning. And died and rose again. And is still alive. Is still moving. Talking about Jesus, You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that he's quoting. He just doesn't realize it. That it says, they shall know you by your what? Your love. And so his main reasoning for even though he was literally there, just like Jews, they're born into their religion. He's born Yazidi. So it's like, you don't have a choice. You're Yazidi. And so he's born into it. Generations, thousands of years of generations of, of family before him that believe this. And yet he has abandoned his culture, what he was born in, his religion, his identity. He's abandoned it because Christians have come, specifically these three uh, girls that are on the ground there, and have loved his family and his children and his 30 or 40 grandchildren and have come week after week to pour the love of Jesus on them without asking for anything in return. And because of it, he knows and, and said it here on, on, on film, right? That he, he said all of Iraq and all of the Middle East should be Christian. Because he says, his version of it is he says, because the Christians are the only ones that care about the human rights. What he's saying is because the Christians are the only ones that love. Now folks, I got to tell you this. We have the answer. 
And I'm so tired of the fear that has been perpetrated upon us where we think that if it's a war-torn country or if it's an area where stuff is going on that we should shrink back. Folks, the darkest places are the opportunities for us to see his light shine. <laughs> Folks, these are the opportunities we have. There's a harvest of millions of people in that nation that are sitting in tents with no hope for tomorrow that are begging for somebody to walk through the door and tell them about Jesus. If you and I were there for a month, we could go around from house to house and house and probably see a thousand people saved in a month. People are so hungry for Jesus because they're so desperate. But, you know, I, I, I was listening to somebody yesterday talk about this on Azusa, and it was so just, it just so impacted my mind where they said that we have so lowered the expectations of what Jesus wants to do with our lives. He said, they, he said when Jesus left the earth, his expectations for what he would do through us were greater than what he had for himself when he was here. He told us, he said, greater things you will do. We have so watered down our expectations of what God's going to do with our life and we've allowed ourselves to get so comfortable in those expectations that we're not even living up even close to what Jesus did, yet alone, yet alone exceeding what he's done. But God has called you and I to burn with a cause and a passion inside of us that we wouldn't shrink back in fear. I had a lot of conversations with people before I left who love me and I appreciate it who didn't want me to go and were scared for me to go to Iraq. And I appreciate it because I don't want to, I don't think it's heroic to leave your children without a father. That's not heroic. That's stupid. But I said to myself, I have to do something. I have to, to tell a story or two. I have to somehow let people know that this is going on. As believers, we cannot shrink back. And it may not be Iraq for you. It may not be the Middle East. It may not even be another nation. It might just be your neighborhood. It might be the person next door. It might be your workplace. It might be, it might be foster children. It might be Sunday school. It might be whatever. But there has to be a cause burning inside of you as a believer. Something that grips you. That when you wake up in the morning, your only thought isn't, you know, I need a bigger house and I want to pay my bills and I'm going to need to get a new car. That's all wonderful. God wants to bless you. If you have a big house and a nice car, wonderful. You shouldn't feel guilty about it. God's blessed you. Receive it. He loves to bless you. But beyond that, what are you living for? Well, I just want to be a light. Well, if you were a solar light, you haven't seen the sun for a while. Some of us. Because we, we, we have, our lives should be lived in such a way that everywhere we go, we're like a bull in a china shop. In other words, when you walk into a place, when you leave, someone else should be able to walk in after you and go, what happened here? The difference between leaving this earth one day and leaving no legacy of advancing the kingdom of God, just basically saying, oh, they were a great guy. They were a great lady. The difference between that and the Mother Teresa's of the world is they burned with a cause inside of them. 
Something at some point in their life gripped their heart where they said, I don't care about living just a normal, sweet little Christian life. If you're feeling guilt right now, you're missing my point. This is not about guilt. This is about pushing you and encouraging you to ask God for more. I, I, I can't ever process this through this and be the same. There's no way to hear and to see what I've seen. And now you're going to be in the same boat as I tell you a couple more stories. You cannot hear what I'm getting ready to say and go back to your normal Christian life. You cannot hear what is happening around the world and not want to do something about it. And like I said, it might be next door. I do not want to have a cute church. Don't miss my point. Do I want it to be attractive so that people want to come here and visit? Absolutely. Do I want people to, to, think, to be talking and say, hey, you should go to that church. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Do I not want to create opportunities for you and I to connect and build relationship and have a good time? Absolutely. I love more than maybe anyone else you know to have a good time. I am so silly, it's crazy. I am. I love that. I think it's important. I never want to devalue that. It's wonderful, and we're going to do more of it. We're going to do seven straight Sunday nights this summer where we just hang out at the beach and just have a good time. We're going to have a great time. Yeah, it's going to be good. But with all that being said, I don't just want to have a church. Folks, if we're just going to be a church, if we just want to, if you just want to be comfortable, if you just want to just come and just whatever and just go home and just keep going the same way, this ain't the place for you. And if you're a visitor, I'm not talking to you. This is the place for you, I promise. My point is, I, I, when you look a mother in the eyes, as I did when I was here, and she tells me about her two twin one-year-old babies that she held in her arms, and as ISIS was coming through her village, they were butchering and torturing babies and children to scare the parents into converting or giving them money or joining them, and she heard about it and got calls that her house was next, and she ran to the side of the mountain and threw her one-year-olds over the side of the mountain so they would die instantly instead of being tortured by these people. When you hear that, you cannot go back to comfortable Christianity. I came home and I, I hugged my, my daughter, Madeline, and held her in my arms, thinking about she was the age of these two twin girls. I can't imagine throwing her to her death so that she wouldn't be tortured. That being the best option? I heard about and met a man whose daughter was 17 years old, that they were leading her away to a life of slavery. And I'm not talking about just hard work, if you know what I mean, since we have children in the room. 17 years old, leading her away, knowing that she would probably live the most torturous, terrible life until they had used her up, and then they would kill her. And to, to avoid that, he kicked her over down the mountain. She rolled down to her untimely death as a father, the 17-year-old girl. You can't ever be the same. 
The story that I'm going to show you right now, this man we met in this tent, he, he was there, but I could tell his relationship with the children there was a little bit weird. So we asked the mother and grandmother that were there, both of them who had lost their husbands and who lost children just a year and a half prior on Mount Sinjar, which is north of Mosul, which if you research has all sorts of biblical connections. And so they're talking and telling the story. And so we finally asked, he said, who is this guy? And they said, he lives next door. He has no family because he went ahead to the next town. Because he heard ISIS was coming. And he said he had about four or five days before they got to his village. So he went to the next town to prepare a place to bring his wife and his three kids. And when he came back, they had already gotten to the village. And they had taken his wife and his three children. And he sat in the corner, literally looking lost. It's been a year and a half. He still doesn't know what to do with his life. They say he lives in the tent next door. He just comes over and plays with the kids because he, he, they just, he just misses his children so much. And Sean is there with his three kids. Folks, this is real. This isn't some sort of emotional story. Sean is there with his three kids. And this man is telling Sean the story and pointing to pictures of his children on his phone. And he's saying, my daughter is his age. My son is your daughter's older daughter, Keturah's age, five years old. And then he picked up one of Sean's kids and began to kiss him. Now, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a little extreme today, and you just have to excuse me. But we live in an extreme world where an extreme faith and an extreme gospel is the only answer. Folks, if you walk into that place and you think you're going to happy, slappy Christianity them into the promised land, you're crazy. When you're confronted with people seeing their children killed and sold into slavery and husbands and wives missing and the most unthinkable and thousands of years of family history destroyed, living in a tent with open sewage with no hope of tomorrow, you can't just bring in a hoe, just pray, we're just gonna have a joyful time here. You you have to go there knowing that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is the only answer. And you might have come this morning just hoping, I hope he makes me feel really good today, and maybe I'm not, and I'm sorry. But I want you to be encouraged knowing that there is a cause for you in your life. I'm going to show you this video. Once again, I slapped it together last night. I want you to see this, of this man, as he shows Sean this, what's going on in his life. And then he begins to kiss one of his children. And I want you to, just in your own way, you and the Lord, I just want the Lord to speak to your heart of what maybe he's challenging you in. him on the left. That's the one of the ladies' boys there. Not, not his own.
you watch that and understand it and just say, you know what, I'm just going to go on doing what I do with my life. I want you to leave here so challenged in your faith. If it's just about, you know, padding your bank account and upgrading to the next house and all of that, if that's all you're living for, there's so much more that God has for you. It's not that you can't work to be successful or have nice things. There's no, there's no harm in that. But folks, when you see this, when you understand what's happening around the world, and you understand that we're the only people on earth that have the solution, you have to be marked with something. I have so much respect for some of you here that have been marked with a purpose and a cause. I have massive respect for my own parents who were marked with a cause to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to see the captives set free the homeless have homes people celebrate the miners and it's, it's fun. We, we, we appreciate it people say oh thank you miners you know my family even my siblings we're a bunch of morons if you heard us around the dinner table you would think these people are idiots but we've been marked with a cause. That's the question. great admiration for you and Jim, Leah. And I won't go into detail based on our audience here today. But something has to click inside of you where you go, this choice I'm getting ready to make may make my life less comfortable, but it's a choice I have to make because inside of me burns something stronger than my will to be comfortable. Yesterday we saw in Azusa or in LA history made do you know how it happened not with a millionaire donor Lou Engel sold his house and he sold his car he's been doing the call for 16 years God never asked him to do that until now he said I want you to sell everything you have and buy the field so he did it 
He didn't do it 16 years ago or five years ago because God didn't ask him to do it and God may not be asking you to do it. But the question is, are you willing to follow his plan and his passion burning inside of you no matter the cost? Is what's burning inside of me and you stronger than our will to just live a sweet, comfortable life? Because if the answer is yes, then we can change, you know, what we can change can't even be numbered. If the answer is no, then, then then your response needs to be, Holy Spirit, give me that gift of hunger so that I may hunger and thirst for your righteousness so that I can be filled the story you saw there and I'm getting ready to close Sean Foyt who he's cheap we'll just put it that way okay and I hope we'll get this on film and I'll send him this clip He's just cheap. I've worked with him a lot. He's cheap. I'm never cheap with him, but he's cheap. He had an untold amount of money in his pocket. I don't know how much, but a lot. And he poured it out, and he took the whole wad. It was a wad of dinar about that thick. And he handed it to the man because he was so moved. He's been to like 80 nations or 100 nations. His wife said he has never, ever done that because it's just a rule. Otherwise, when you travel that much, it just just becomes overwhelming if you try to help everybody. She said he's never done that. He was so moved with compassion, he took the wad out. To this day, he says, I have no idea how much money I gave that guy. He just took the wad because somebody in in Bethel Church had like $25,000 worth of dinar that they bought back when people were talking about it, revaluing and all that. And so U.S. dollars, not 25,000 dinar, 25,000 U.S. dollars worth of dinar, which is millions and millions and millions of dinar. And they gave it to him. There were stacks of money this high. I mean, you can't believe it. Because they found out that for $2,500, he could buy back sex slaves from ISIS and return them to their homes for $2,500. So they said, here's 25,000, buy 10 children back. And so he had, this, he had a wad of money in his pocket and he hands it over to the guy. The guy took the cash and he looked at it. He's living in a tent with open sewage, with no job, no opportunity for a job, no commerce, nothing. He took this wad of money and he gave it back to him like this. And he said, I don't want your money. I just want my children back. And Sean said, well, this is how I can help. Take it. He said, no. He said, take it. He said, no, I don't want your money. This guy's living in the ultimate poverty. He said, I don't want your money. I want to go back to my home. I want my children back. That's what I need your help with. So Sean four times offered it to him. The fourth time he had the interpreter tell him, you will dishonor me and disrespect me if you don't take this money. And he finally took it and stuck it in his pocket. And Sean and I looked at me in the face and, I, and we both said, I don't know what we can do, but we're going to do something. So today I want you to leave here and I want you to say, God, some of you right now know 
If there's something that the Lord's put inside of you that, you're burned, that you've burned with before and he wants to reignite that. Some of you have no idea what that looks like, but I want you to ask the Spirit of God, God, what is it that you want to, that you want to consume me with? What is the cause that you want my heart to burn for? It might be a discipleship group. It might be evangelism here locally. It might have nothing to do with another nation. It might be foster children or adoption or whatever. Whatever that looks like, it might be what it's, whatever it is for you, God's given for you. It's no less or greater than somebody else. But whatever God wants you to burn for, I want you to ask the Spirit of God to ignite that passion inside of you, that you would burn with a cause. I hate to say this with my wife and parents here, but that will not be the last time I go back to that nation. Good, because they, it's a very male-dominated society, and they'll take you too before they take me. So... Yeah, that's right. It's the last, the last time I'm going. But, but I believe that if you can really, really lock in to God's burning cause for your life and pursue it, that when you die one day and the Lord takes you home, and you get to heaven, you, you'll have left everything on the table. You'll have pushed all the chips in and you'll have said, hey, I gave it all. I left nothing behind. And that's my heart's cry today. That you would be challenged. I have so many videos and so many amazing stories. I'll be telling some more in the coming weeks. But that's what I want to mark you and I with this morning. Well, that was my saying. Yes, but thank you. You like it. I said, I want to figure out why it is that our access to God has an inverse relationship to our level of hunger. I want you to think about that. Why is it that the more free we are to worship the Lord, the less as a society we are hungry for him? And I'm determined to be a nation that doesn't take for granted and a church, because we can do that here, a church that does not take for granted the access to God's presence and the freedom to worship him that many nations don't have. We did, I have so many stories, I got to stop, but we did a 12-hour burn there while I was there. Once a month now, they're doing 12 hours of continuous worship in a war-torn nation, in an act of war. We are doing 12 hours of live, continuous prayer and worship with people from all of the different tribes in the area and 30 Iranians snuck over the border, literally risking their life. They would be executed on the spot without any, without any, um, without any trial or anything. They'd be executed on the spot if they were found sneaking over the border. Uh, 30 Iranians snuck over the border. 10 of them were unsaved. They came because they were hungry for something beyond what they had. They got to this thing. They got saved in the middle of the whole thing. 
baptized, filled with God, the whole, everything you can imagine, hungry for him because they, they just have to have something beyond where they're at. And I said, God, what is it that the more we have access to you, the less hungry you are? This inverse relationship. And I just believe that as a people, we can change that. Do you agree with me? And the other quote that I heard that I didn't say in this service, that I said in the first one, that I heard yesterday at that Azusa thing. Somebody said, one of the great missionaries there, I think it was the guy who started um, YWAM, Lauren Cunningham, is it? He said, he said, um, he said, I'm determined in my life. He said, he said, I don't believe that anybody should hear the gospel twice before everybody hasn't heard it at least once. And I just, man, folks, there's so much more for you and I. Amen? So I've left you with a lot to process. Join the club. We'll process some of this together. Be challenged in our life, in our walk, in our passion for him. And we will never be the same. We will never pursue comfortable Christianity. We are going to be known as the church that lives on the edge. All right? Yes, just one quick thing. Carmen uh, Amadeo here lost his silver wedding ring here today. So it's a wedding ring. So if you have it, does anybody have it? If it was on the floor and you're waiting to turn it in, just you can give it to me now if you have the ring. Otherwise, we need to find it. It's not just a silver ring, it's a wedding ring. So we're going to find it. Otherwise, we're going to have to get you an upgrade. All right? We'll find it. So after, when I dismiss, if you will, we'll turn the lights on. If you can look under your chairs, your seats, in your area, we'll do that. Let's pray before we do that. Father, we thank you for this, Lord, this challenge that you've made to all of us, that we would live beyond our own comfortability, that we'd be stretched in our faith to see you move in this generation. Lord, as the nations are raging around the world, God, you are still on the throne and you are still the answer because you are alive and you care for this world. So God, help us to, to begin to burn with a cause and be challenged in our own walk in faith that we would, we would not be just content to live a safe, Christian, comfortable life, but we will be challenged to be radical in our faith and the way that we live. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you're communicating to hearts even now that I, I can't do over a microphone. Only you can, that you're personalizing this message for every heart in this place. That you would create a passion inside of us to make a decision, take steps forward and seeing our lives really, really count for the kingdom. In Jesus' name. Hey, we love you guys. I'm going to be showing you some more stuff in the coming weeks. We're going to turn these lights on if you can.